Um, it is really good to be here. It is really good to see you. Um, Patrick's a pretty good preacher, but man, he's really a good song leader. <laughs> Maybe we'll start making him do both. Um, I didn't realize, I mean, I don't think about it very often, but when Patrick asked me how long I'd been here, uh, it, it does seem like a long time now, and yet it seems like a very short time. Uh, when I look around, there are some people who've been here a lot longer than me, but there aren't many. And so uh, I realize that uh, time is uh, moving on. Um, this is, this is a, a wonderful group of people. Uh, I, I love this church. I, I travel sometimes, and uh, when I am gone on Sundays, I usually try to go to church wherever I am. And one of the things I always do is I always think, look around, look at the people, listen to the preacher, uh, talk to people and think, now, would I trade that church for mine? The answer is no. And so, you know, it, sometimes we, it's kind of like a family, you kind of complain about yourself sometimes, but when it comes down to the bottom line, this is a good group of folks. This is a good group of God's people. Um, the difficulty I have tonight is when they say to the elders, you, you can have one night to talk to the church uh, about his people. And so you start looking, and one thing leads to another. And so now I have this conglomeration of things that's way too long. I think I could probably do it in 13 weeks, but... Uh, that might push it, but I'm going to try to say something tonight. And, uh, and, and where that's coming from is just, I, I just want to talk about God's people. And there's so many things we could talk about. God's people is us, the church. Sometimes when we say church, we think about an organization or a place or uh, one group. I, I'm really talking tonight about God's people, who is us. Mar Avenue Church, we're one group of God's people that meet at this place. And so there's so many ways you could come at it. I'm going to kind of come at it uh, from a direction that came to me as I was trying to come up with this. Um, in Isaiah chapter 6, there is an account of Isaiah when he had a vision uh, when he is prophesying to God's people. In verse 1, it reads, In the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord sitting upon a throne, high and lifted up, and his train filled the temple. And above him stood the seraphim. Each had six wings. With two he covered his face, with two he covered his feet, and with two he flew. And one called to the other and said, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. And the whole earth is full of his glory. And that picture is just one short picture of God inhabiting the temple. 
And you get the picture that his robe is flowing down and inhabits the whole temple. And these angelic beings are flying around saying, holy, holy. And the glory of God fills the temple and the whole earth in this passage. Not too long ago, we studied from the book of Haggai where uh, the, the people of Israel were released from Syrian captivity and they returned to rebuild the temple which had been destroyed in all the battles of overtaking it. And so when they went back, they laid the foundation, but then, you know, they got lazy and they got occupied with their own lives and rebuilding their own lives. And they neglected to build the temple. Now you remember it was 16 years and Haggai is called by God to go and speak to his people. And when he goes there, he reprimands them. And I don't know if you remember, but you may want to turn to Haggai chapter 1. I want to read, uh, well, first of all, they're, they're supposed to rebuild the temple and he goes to them and, and they said it's not quite time to rebuild the temple. Uh, the term he used is you're living in your own paneled houses, but you're neglecting my house. That's what God said. So what you get here and the idea is, is they are taking care of their own lives. They're busy. They're going to work. They're trying to make enough money to pay the house payment and pay the bill. They're also working night and day, but they just can't get ahead. And I don't think that's a lot different than we are today. Sometimes we get preoccupied. Well, if I can just get this done, maybe I can, I can, I can do this. Maybe I'll have time for this, for the Lord. So that's where they were. In the first day of the month, the word of the Lord came to Haggai the prophet to Zerubbabel and to the son of Shealtiel, governor of Judah, and to Joshua, the son of Jehozadak, the high priest. Thus says the Lord of hosts, This people say the time has not come to build the house of the Lord, that it has not yet come. Then the word of the Lord came by Haggai the prophet. Is it a time for you yourselves to dwell in your paneled houses while this house lies in ruins? Now, therefore, thus says the Lord God of hosts, consider how you've fared. You've sown much and harvested little. You eat, but you never have enough. You drink, but you never have your fill. You clothe yourselves, but no one is warm. He who earns wages earns wages to put them into a bag with holes. So he says, consider how you've fared. Go up to the hills and bring wood and build a house that I may take pleasure in it and that I may appear in my glory, says the Lord. So why were they going to build a temple? We usually think, well, so they'd have a place to worship or so they'd have a place to offer sacrifices, some of the things that went on there. And those were things, and it was important. But the real reason God wanted him to rebuild the temple was for his pleasure and for his glory. So that God could inhabit that temple and his glory would radiate from there. 
And every prophet who prophesies regarding the rebuilding of the temple, when they picture it rebuilt, like in Ezekiel 43, the glory of the Lord filled the temple. And in some cases, the glory of the Lord was so great and filled with so much smoke that you couldn't see for a minute. When Moses goes up on uh, the mountain to get directions for how to build the tabernacle, he's up on the mountain and it says the glory of God came upon the mountain and there was lightning and a cloud and the people. When Moses goes up to get the Ten Commandments, he wants to see God and you remember God says you can't look at my face or you'll die. And so he says, but you get back in the cleft of this rock and God puts him in the cleft of the rock and God says, I'll walk by that you may see my glory. So in this text, or in the text where Moses comes down from the mountain and they build the tabernacle, once they get it built, what happens? The glory of God inhabits the tabernacle. So the people of God were well aware of the glory of God. And that's where we get the term, our job is to glorify God bring about his glory. Though he has that without us. And so, I want us to think for a minute and look at that. Um, I want to look in chapter 2, verses 4 and 5. After he reprimands them, he comes back, and I'm going to try not to read all that because, as I said, I've got 13 weeks to get in this 45 minutes. So he says in verse 4, Yet now take courage, O Zerubbabel, says the Lord. Take courage, O Joshua, son of Jehozadak, the high priest. Take courage, all you people of the land, says the Lord. Work, for I am with you, says the Lord of hosts, according to the promise that I made you when you came out of Egypt. My spirit abides among you. Fear not. So after he tells them, he says, you're struggling because you can't make enough money. It keeps falling through. You're working. You're trying to take care of your own business, but it's not working because you are not taking care of my house where I can demonstrate my glory. So I want us to shift for a minute because we have a picture of that temple and if we went back and we looked at Solomon's temple and all the gold and the inlay and all that stuff, how magnificent it was. It was magnificent. But this temple, which wasn't going to be near as magnificent, it said it was going to be more glorious with a prophetic speaking because Jesus himself would walk in this temple. And so you have these images from there and you know those, so I want us now to go to the book of Ephesians chapter 2. I'm going to begin reading about verse 19. Well, 
This is at the end of one of Paul's prayers. I, I would love to read the whole thing. It's one of my favorite passages, but I'm going to just pick up here for the sake of time. He's praying for them, and he wants them to know the love of Christ which surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled with the fullness of God. Now to him who by the power at work within us is able to do far more abundantly than all we ask or think, to him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus to all generations forever and ever. Well, that was from chapter 3, and, and, and I want to go back to chapter 2 now, beginning with verse 19. We'll come back to 3 in a minute. So he's talking about the wonder of how now the Jews and Gentiles have been reconciled into one body. So then you are no longer strangers and sojourners, but you are fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God built upon the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone in whom the whole structure is joined and knit together and grows into a holy temple in the Lord, in whom you also are built into it for a dwelling place of God in the Spirit. So what Paul is writing here is that the church, which is you and is now Jews and Gentiles, that we are being built into a structure. And each one of us is a little brick that's being built into it, into a holy temple in the Lord for a dwelling place of God in the Spirit. So Solomon's temple is no more, and it was made of gold and stone. But God still has a temple that he wants to inhabit. That is where he lives. And each one of us is a part of the structure of that temple. If we look into 1 Corinthians chapter 3, Beginning with verse 16. Do you not know that you are God's temple and that God's spirit dwells in you? If anyone destroys God's temple, God will destroy him. For God's temple is holy and that temple you are. In this book of 1 Corinthians, he uses the temple of God both collectively as the body the church, and he uses it individually as each of our bodies, which is not unique because if each of us is a brick, then we're a part of the temple. And so 
Look in 1 Corinthians chapter 6. Do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit? Do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit within you, which you have from God? You are not your own. You were bought with a price. So glorify God in your body. So from 1 Corinthians and from, if we want to go back to Ephesians now, As much as we saw how important the temple was in Old Testament times and how much we saw God inhabiting it for His own glory, the same is true today. And I think sometimes we don't visualize ourselves, the church, the people of God, as a holy temple where God dwells and where His glory should shine to the whole world from where it should. So if we go back to Ephesians, in chapter 3, I want to, let me see if I can... um, Well, let's, let, let's go back to, to 19 that I read a while ago and let me stop some. He wants us to know the love of Christ which surpasses the knowledge that you may be filled with the fullness of God. Now to him who by the power that is at work within us is able to do far more abundantly than all we ask or think. I want us to think back to the book of Haggai. There were two things he told them when they started to rebuild the temple. One is, I'm going to be with you and so you'll be able to do it and my spirit will be with you so you will be able to do it. So he's saying the same thing here in Ephesians after he says we're built into this structure, a holy temple, a dwelling place for God. He says he wants us now to realize that by the power that is at work within us, God is able to do far more abundantly than we ask or think because the Spirit of God is with us and dwells in us because we are the temple of God. And then he says, to him be glory in the church in Christ Jesus and to all generations forever and ever. And so guess what? You see the glory in the church. The glory of God inhabits the church, his temple, and again it shines to the world. So for us to do that, I I want us, as we talk about building up this holy structure, I want to now go to Ephesians chapter 4. I'm going to skip some verses just for the sake of time to kind of stay with 
where we are, I'll try to tell you when I skip one. I'm going to begin reading in um, verse 1. I therefore, a prisoner of the Lord, beg or urge you to lead a life worthy of the calling to which you have been called. With all lowliness and meekness, with patience, forbearing one another in love, eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. There is one body and one Spirit, just as you were called to the one hope that belongs to your call. One Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of us all who is above all and through all and in all. But grace was given to each of us according to the measure of Christ's gift. Verse 11, And his gifts were that some should be apostles and some prophets and some evangelists and some pastors and some teachers to equip the saints for the work of ministry, for the building up of the body of of Christ until we all attain to the unity of the faith and the knowledge of the Son of God to mature manhood to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ so that we may no longer be children uh, tossed to and fro and carried about by every wind of doctrine by the cunning of men by their craftiness and in deceitful wiles. Rather, speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in every way into Him who is the head into Christ, from whom the whole body, joined and knit together by every joint with which it is supplied, when each part is working properly, it makes for bodily growth and it builds itself in love. So he switches here to an analogy of the body and he says that we are all one body and that we should live this life worthy of our calling. And as we look at this and go through this, there are different gifts that are given to different people. And if we jumped over to 1 Corinthians chapter 12 and to Romans chapter 12, those are two accounts too where the church, the body, the temple of God, where it is described again as a human body. And it says that each of us are a part of that body. Most translations say member, and again, that's not a card-carrying member of a club. It is a part, a hand, a foot, an eye, an ear of a body. And in, in the Corinthian letter, he says, you know, if, if every body was an eye, then where would be the nose and the smell? If everyone was a hand, you know, what, what would the feet do? And so you get the idea that you need all the parts of the body to carry out the functions of the body of Jesus. 
And he gives us seven things there about things that unify us as one. And he begins that with there is one body and there's one spirit. And he'll speak to that a little more later. And then he goes down. And all this time we're growing up until we look more and more like Jesus. And if we look more and more like Jesus, then the world begins to see Jesus. And the hands of of us, this body, are the hands that are feeding people, are the feet that are taking people things, are the eyes that are searching for people, or the hands that are serving. And it's a unique thing. Um, A large group of this people uh, have recently been doing some service for the community and for some people who needed a place to have a garden uh, in, in, um, over in the, on the west side. And amazingly enough, and the good thing is, uh, we know this, but they've put something about that in the paper twice. And the good of that is not that Lamar Avenue as a, an organization in town, how most people view it is, but what we really want is for people to think, you know, those, those people that claim Jesus are doing good things. And before long, they see the light of Jesus shining through. But when it gets toward the end of this, he really, he really talks about how Jesus ties us all together, joins us and knits us all together so that every joint with which it is supplied when each part is working properly it makes for bodily growth and builds itself up in love. So the picture here of us is this. If I'm going to build a house and my right hand wants to build it over here and my left hand wants to build it over here that's difficult to make work very well because it all has to work together. My feet have to decide to go over there. My eyes have to watch it. I have to get over there and construct that and all of the parts of my body have to work together to do that. You would be much better off to get Phil Wilson to do that than me if you're building a house. But for any of us in a physical body to do that, the body has to work together. And so with us in church, we have to work together in order to build up the Lord's body, which is the inhabiting place of God, so that the glory of God is seen by the world. And sometimes that's hard to do. Because sometimes when we try to decide what it is we do, we have a lot of different ideas. And that's understandable. And so like in my family, we talk about it and we try to decide what's the best thing for the family to do, and we try to come to a decision. And sometimes I have to make a decision, uh, and sometimes uh, Gay has to make a decision. When she knows more about it, I let her make the decision. But um, most of the time, we come to a conclusion. The difficulty with church sometimes is 
that we as elders sometimes have to make decisions about what we think this church, with all its potential, can do to bring glory to God. And sometimes there are different ideas about that. And the first thing I want to say is, uh, as an elder, uh, I am not always right. And, and I'm aware of that. And so decisions that we make uh, may not be right. That's why I think we did get it right in Churches of Christ. That we like plurality of leadership. So there's a group of people who try to make these decisions. Uh, but we like to have input from people and try to do what we feel like is the best thing for the church. Uh, one of, the, one of the difficulties is, is when you have one of the blessings that we have is a very diverse church where we have young people, we have older people, we have people from Paris, we have people from everywhere else, we have people from different places, we have different people of different color. So Lamar Avenue is a very diverse church. So thinking of those people sometimes runs different. But as a group, somehow we have got to learn to work together as a body because when we do, we're going to build it up in love and the glory of God will be manifest and the work can be done. And so sometimes when we have to make difficult decisions, we would ask you to try to follow that because we all need to be pulling in the same direction. We don't need to be pulling against each other. And sometimes we may hear your idea and it may be better and we may choose to do that. It certainly is not that we always know better uh, because we don't. But we certainly spend a lot of time uh, praying to God and listening to people. But when you listen to 500 people, it's difficult to come up with one idea sometimes. But I think, I think this is a great group and I think we can do that and we can build it up. I want to look uh, well, let's go to, let's go to John chapter 17. This text in Ephesians, this text in Ephesians is about the unity of the church and how it's going to work. I want to jump back before I go to, well, we'll go to John 17. Uh, in John 17, uh, Jesus is praying uh, for his disciples and for the church. Let me see where I want to start. Let's begin in verse 20. I do not pray for these only, but also for those who believe in me through their word that they may all be one, even as thou, Father, art in me, 
and I in thee, that they also may be in us, so that the world may believe that you have sent me. The glory which thou hast given me, I have given to them, that they may be one, even as we are one. I in them, and you in me, that they may become perfectly one, so that the world may know that thou hast sent me and hast loved them even as thou hast loved me. Now this is a terribly interesting text to me because it talks about the church, God's people being perfectly one. And if any of you have lived very long Sometimes that may be difficult to decide how can you be perfectly one if the group gets much bigger than one. Now sometimes you can have two or three or four or five or you can have a small group and everybody will be one for a while if one means you agree on everything. But I know from a biblical perspective that the people of God And those who were instructing through the inspired spirit did not, everyone did not always see it the same. In Acts chapter 15, there was a controversy in the church. Uh, In Jerusalem, the people were primarily uh, Jews, and so they held on to a lot of their, uh, the things that had been significant to them as God's people. And the Gentiles did not. So one of the things, without going and doing a study of the Jerusalem Council in Acts 15, they were, they were fighting and, and having trouble and they weren't being unified. And so they called together the apostles and the elders to decide. What are we going to tell them? And guess what? They had to make a decision. And they made a decision and they sent it out to the church. Wrote it down sent it out to the church. One of the things was Uh, that the Jewish people just could not imagine that you could be God's people without being circumcised. Because that had been the mark of God's people forever. And you couldn't be a covenant child of God without it. And they didn't change their God. They just recognized the Savior, Jesus. And so they were struggling with this circumcision thing But the elders said, we are not going to bind upon them circumcision. The Gentiles, we're not going to bind that upon them. And yet at other times, Paul had Timothy circumcised before he went to speak to the Jews. In uh, in the Jerusalem council also, there was the idea that you couldn't eat meat offered to idols. That apparently was a really confusing idea. So one of the things that they came down is they said, we are not going to bind circumcision on them, but we are going to bind that you cannot eat meat offered to idols. But if you jumped over and you looked in Paul's letter in 1 Corinthians, uh, there's a time there that people thought you shouldn't eat meat and some thought you should. And he says, well if it doesn't violate the conscience and cause someone to sin and to lose their faith, then you can eat it. It's nothing. 
But if it's going to cause them to think they're participating with an idol, you can't. So in Corinth, they could eat meat at times, and in Jerusalem, they could not. If we looked in Romans chapter 14, there are people who think it's important to observe certain days to honor God. And there are people who think all days are the same. And Paul says to them, if the one keeping a day is honoring God, let him honor God. If those who count all days the same, let him give thanks and honor God. So we could go in and look at all those, but I don't think the oneness, the unity in being one as they are in Christ is that you see everything the same way. If it is, we are doomed because none of us in here see everything the same. In 1 Corinthians chapter 12, that was one of the texts uh, about the body. I want to read beginning in verse 12. For just as the body is one, but it has many members, and all the members of the body, though many, are one body, so it is with Christ. Here's an important verse. For by one spirit we were all baptized into one body. Jews or Greeks, slaves or free. We were all made to drink of the one spirit. The thing that made this body one was that they were all baptized into one, by one spirit into one body and all made to drink of the same spirit. The same spirit that inhabits the temple of God that we are. And that's why if, if we... Um, I was going to jump back over. If, if, if we jump back over um, in the Ephesians 4 text, the first thing he begins with in Ephesians 4 is there's one body and there's one spirit. And he said right above that, he said, I want you to be eager to maintain the unity of the spirit in a bond of peace. Because the Spirit of God has already created the unity. We are one body because we were all baptized by one Spirit into one body. And we all drink of the same Spirit. So the Spirit of God has created the unity and it is our job to maintain it. And so I think the difficulty sometimes comes down to that we feel like, well, if somebody's not doing something like I see it, then I can't have anything to do with them. There are some examples in Scripture, and, and I don't have near time to go through those, but it would be good in the 13 weeks, uh, to look at that there are some reasons you should separate from people. One of those, oddly enough, is sowing discord among the brotherhood. But some of those are living in blatant immorality. And so on and so forth. There are reasons. There are people 
that we are supposed to come out from among and not be a part of. Pagans and idol worshipers is the context of that. And so there are people that we should not uh, have fellowship with in that sense. But very often we take passages of Scripture like that and we use them on ourselves and that's not what the context is talking about. So if we um, look on, there's, there's one other passage I think is interesting in 1 Corinthians chapter 10. This sort of uh, says the same thing. In verse 17 of chapter 10, because there is one bread, we who are many are one body, for we all partake of the one bread. We are not one because we see every idea the same or even every scripture the same. We are one because we all eat the same bread and there's only one bread. So from John 17, why was it so important that Jesus prayed that we would be one? And kind of, I mean, we're going to be nearly through, but look at why he said that in John 17. He said that twice he said so that the world would know that God sent me. So if we are going to convert the world and we're going to convince people that Jesus really is the Christ, the anointed one, the Messiah, the Savior, the one who from the beginning of time God had planned to redeem the world, how are we going to do that? This text says that we, his disciples, when we are unified as Jesus and his Father are united, and Jesus is in us, and he is in the Father, and we all become perfectly one, the world then will believe that God sent Jesus. The second thing he says is, that the world would know that God loved them. Interesting little text. The world doesn't care a lot about religious arguments and facts. But the world does care when we demonstrate the oneness of God in the oneness of his body, the church, the temple, where the glory of God should radiate to the whole world from. And so these are not easy tasks unless we focus on what the center point is, and that is Jesus. 
if we try to make our unity on everything in the circle, we won't have more than a few people in the group. And I think back, there's, there's a multitude of scriptures about the unity of God's people. But when I look and I say, okay, is our unity and our oneness a good demonstration, a good witness to the world that God really did send Jesus? What do you think? I'm not talking about, again, I'm talking about God's people, not just Lamar Avenue. Think about, let's first think about Christendom in general. How many different people are there that are disputing with one another and uh, not getting along with each other. They fought the Crusades as a holy war and killed tons of people. And there's every kind of different religion you could pick nearly anywhere you want to go. But if we even come down to churches of Christ, how well have we done looking really unified as the one body of the one risen Savior. Because I think when we get off of the center point of why we are one, because we were all baptized by one spirit into one body and we all drink of the same spirit. When we get off of that center point, we will never agree on every point outside of that. And so if every time we choose a point that's going to separate us, and we separate and go our ways, that's one thing. And I want to make something clear. Physical separation is not always disunity. People can be in different places and can choose to be more effective in another place. Paul and Barnabas chose to be in different places on the missionary journey, on the dispute over John Mark. What really makes for a break in the unity of God's people is a break in the relationship and the spirit between us. When we don't love and associate and care for and all of those words that we know and we fight against each other, that's when unity is really broken. And so, I kept waiting for a bell, but it's two minutes after. If we were going to think a little more if we jumped over. I want to make one more statement. In John chapter 13, Jesus made one other statement which is closely related. In verse 34 and 35, um, let's see if I can get there. In John chapter 13, verse 34 and 35, a new commandment I give to you that you love one another, even as I have loved you, that you also love one another. And by this, all men will know that you are my disciples, if you have love for one another. So again, how's the world going to know? How's the world going to know, number one, that God really sent Jesus and God loves them and that we, in fact, are the disciples of Jesus 
And the world's going to know that, not by what we can convince them with that our argument is better than somebody else's argument. What John says through the Spirit of God is that our love for one another is how the world is going to know that we are really God's disciples. And if we read some of the verses we didn't have time to read, Paul says that the entire law and the prophets are summed up in that. Because if we love one another, then we don't bite and devour like Galatians chapter 5 said. Don't bite and devour one another. So I want us to think, because I think this is is an extraordinary group of people. I think there's extraordinary talent. If we see ourselves as that temple of God, where the glory of God inhabits it, and we are that structure because the Spirit of God has made us a part of it. And our job then is, through the church, to allow glory to shine out to the world. And I, I, would, I would say to you, when that happens, uh, it's a wonderful thing. And this church has been good at that on, on many occasions. And you can go all the way back for the few that were here when we had a tornado in 1982. The whole town really became aware of this group of people because of the efforts that went into that and everybody working together. And it was a good feeling. Even to this day, if anybody was there, when somebody asked a question, when was the best day, days of, of Lamar Avenue, a lot of them would say, when we were doing that, and that's because we were working together doing the work of God. Amen. And there have been many other times when we had hurricanes. Uh, we've done very well. And many other churches from other places came and, uh, and we were the center point to work that. And that's a great witness to the world. And I just really think it would be just a wonderful thing if everything we did, we were working harmoniously together and we were building each other up in love and the glory of God was shining to the world and people in Paris begin to say you know what those people those Christian people maybe there's something they have I want to know and maybe this thing about God is real and maybe I should listen and so we would have a golden opportunity to share then the good news so I'm going to leave that maybe someday we'll do 13 weeks but again I, I love this group of people and I think it's an extraordinary group of people. And I'm anxious and I'm, I'm optimistic of great things uh, to bring glory to God. Let's pray. Our Father in heaven, we thank you for all that you do for us. We thank you for providing this place, uh, this church where we can be your people and know that you are our God. We thank you that your spirit lives within us. And we pray, Father, that we will do nothing 
to quench your spirit, but that we would allow your glory to shine to the world. And that our life and our mission would be about glorifying you. And Father, we come to you and we confess to you that we are weak and we sin and we fall short. And I would ask you to forgive us. I would ask you to be patient with us. And I would ask you to teach us and help us to follow every day closer in the footsteps of Jesus. And Father, we thank you for each person who is here tonight, for each person who makes up a part of this body and this temple for you to inhabit. Father, we thank you for their talents, for their gifts, and for the function that they carry in this body. Father, we pray that we can work harmoniously together and that we can do great things by utilizing the power uh, that raised Jesus from the dead. Your spirit that inhabits us can do far more than we can ask or imagine. And we pray that you would use us, that we would yield ourselves to you as instruments of righteousness in your hand to be used to your glory. It is in the name of Jesus we pray. Amen.